This is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and the brothers and and the, oh, sorry, I have to do it from here. <laughs> and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks, Patty. If you can have your Bibles open to Galatians 1. We're going to go through a new series um, this, uh, this year. Uh, the, the first quarter of this year, um, we're going to go through Galatians, um, knowing that there are many people actually who have come to this church recently, who have become Christians recently, and so we wanted to go back to the basics because we never grow out of the gospel. Um, so, but let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that as the word was made flesh 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that you will send your spirit um, to us and meet us uh, as we come to this text. And we pray that you will once again convict us of the goodness of the gospel and live in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll just start with a little quiz. So if you came across these words, uh, could you guess who it was written um, by? I am so bitter against God. I think God must have taken Jack to show the world how lost we would be without him. But this is a strange way of thinking of me. And God will have a bit of explaining to do if I ever saw him, if I ever see him. Any guesses? Yeah. Oh, gosh, Andy. Well done. <laughs> it is by Jackie Kennedy. Let me ask uh, one more. Uh, let me add one more. He, he loves the chase and is bored with the conquest. Once married, uh, needs proof that he's still attractive, so flirts with other women and, and resents you. And this is uh, uh, written, uh, the first quote is written um, in 1963, of course, um, when uh, it, it, these are uh, letters to uh, Jackie uh, Kennedy's, Kennedy's confidant, uh, Father Joseph Leonard. Uh, when we read them, we have to think about the context of why it was written and uh, when it was written, who wrote it, what made them uh, write it. Understanding the context helps us to understand the letter better, what it means. Of course, the first quote is taken from um, after the assassination of J.F. Kennedy, um, where she struggles with uh, 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 Kennedy's death. The second quote is taken from a letter where she confesses her uh, resentment with Kennedy's womanizing tendencies. And once, once you know that that's what it is, actually these, makes, uh, these words make a lot more sense. The quote becomes a lot more clear. Now, I say these things uh, because it's not all that different. Actually, when we read the Bible's letters, Biblical letters, these were real letters written by real people about real problems. The letter to the Galatians is Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, the people in Galatia and modern-day central Turkey. And if we know more about Paul and we know about more about the churches in Galatia, actually the words um, that make a lot more sense. We can get a much better understanding 
of what the letter means and why then God has recorded them for us as scripture that speaks even today. And we know who wrote uh, this letter, letter to the Galatians, because as it was the custom, we don't do this, uh, well, some, sometimes we do, don't, don't we? We do, uh, uh, as was the custom, the writer writes the name at the top. And so Paul writes his name at the very top in verse 1. To the churches in Galatia, uh, Paul, an apostle, uh, to the churches in Galatia, verse 2. And for those of you who are new to Christianity, let me tell you about Apostle Paul a little bit. And um, Paul was a devout Jew who once persecuted Christians. He thought that there was only one God, Yahweh God, of the Old Testament. When Christians started to believe and, and trust in Jesus as to be that God, uh, the salvation was found in Christ. Paul became indignant. He became mad and started to arrest and put people, Christians in prison and started to persecute uh, them. He uh, once even participated in stoning. He did this with great zeal until the risen Christ appeared to Paul and told him, Paul, you're persecuting me when you persecute Christians. His life, needless to say, turned around. He became a Christian and he became an apostle. All that he learned as a Jewish rabbi, he put to use as a Christian. He became a missionary. He was sent into parts of the world uh, where they didn't, where they hadn't heard the gospel. One place, one of the first places that he went to was the uh, region called Galatia. Galatia is not just one city; it's actually a region um, in modern-day central uh, Turkey. And he planted many churches in that region. And we learn more about this trip, actually, in another part of the Bible, uh, Acts 13 and Acts 14, where uh, we see the record of Paul, uh, Paul's trip there. We see there, actually, in Acts 13, that he preaches a message of forgiveness by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by keeping the law, which is what he used to do. This is a Luke paraphrasing Paul's sermon in, in Acts 13, 38 to 39. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He preached unconditional forgiveness of sins through Jesus. He says there that no one is able to obtain justification by obeying the law. That declaration of forgiveness uh, through observing the law of Moses. He was preaching to the Jews who believed in the law of Moses. Understandably, Jewish people did not like what was going on. Partly that what they, they didn't like was that Paul was challenging the law of Moses. No matter how faithfully they, they, they tried to observe the law, Paul was saying the law wasn't going to save them. And no one could rely on the law. And positively, the other side, they didn't like either. That salvation came only through faith in Jesus. When one trusts the work of Jesus and receive him as their Savior and Lord, that that person is justified, declared righteous as in, 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 in a court, acquitted and freed. And you see, this also meant for the Jews that it wasn't, it wasn't any longer special for one person to be a Jew. Actually, that the Gentiles and the Jews had the same access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. There was no special privilege of being a Jew anymore. And that, for many Jews, was, uh, 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 was uh, problematic. 
No longer did one have to be, become a Jew in order to be saved. Actually, to say that Jews didn't like Paul was, uh, is a serious understatement. Just as Paul had persecuted Christians before, the Jews started to persecute Paul. In fact, even in this very first trip to Galatia, Paul and Barnabas had to escape death many times. Uh, once from Iconium, one of the first cities that they, they went to, they almost got stoned. And so they escaped. And as they went to the next city, Lystra and Derby, uh, they, also, uh, they preached the gospel there, but they weren't so fortunate there. Paul was stoned after preaching the gospel. In fact, they, he was so stoned, he was uh, uh, so hurt, they presumed him to be, to be dead. And they dragged him outside of the city walls to, to leave him to rot. And miraculously, after they leave, Paul gets up and actually walks to the next city. And what's even more miraculous about that, actually, is that a few days later, a few, uh, few weeks later, Paul actually comes back to the same city where he was, uh, he was stoned to strengthen the disciples and to encourage them to remain true to their faith. So Paul risked his life to, to share this gospel, to give the gospel to the people in Galatia. So the relationship between Paul and the Galatian churches uh, is that Paul was their spiritual father. Paul risked his life to give them the gospel. And at first, the people in Galatia, these cities, they received the gospel and Paul with great joy. But as we turn to Galatians, our letter, it quickly becomes obvious to us if you read it that the relationship has changed. If you look down to verse 6, um, we didn't read, but then uh, 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 verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. They've turned against Paul, and they've turned against the gospel that Paul preached. They rejected him, and so Paul is writing this letter to address them, to say, actually, what you now hear is no gospel at all. And for us, this is good news because the, the, the subject matter of this letter to, uh, to the Galatians is the gospel. It, it, it is what is the gospel, what it, it is not, and why this is good news for us. And as he articulates the gospel in the, in the letter, letter, to, letter to the Galatians, we hear the articulate, clear articulation of the gospel. And this is good for us because as we hear the gospel, life is changed. At the heart of Christianity, this is the message. So this is why Galatians is so, such a powerful book for many people. In fact, um, there is one um, sort of a testimony, I suppose. In the 18th century, William Holland uh, asked Charles Wesley to, ask, uh, to, to read. He asked Wesley to read Luther's commentary on uh, the book of Galatians. And as Wesley reads uh, Luther's preface, he later writes this in his journal. There came such a power over me, as I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought that I saw our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knee and prayed. When afterwards went into the streets, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. Understanding, he understood the gospel for the first time, and understanding the gospel ex uh, produces that sort of experience. 
There came such a power over me. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was filled with peace and love. I burst into tears. Tim Keller also wrote a, a commentary on, the, uh, on Galatians, and he writes there, Galatians is all about the gospel, which, which all of us need throughout all, all of our lives. It's dynamite. I pray that it explodes into your heart and make you passionate to see, see it do the same, same work in others' heart. The gospel that Galatians articulates is a powerful thing, and it's not something that we grow out of. It's for the young Christians, but it's also for the old Christians because gospel is uh, one that we live into. And in fact, if you think about the, uh, the book of Galatians, uh, Epistle to the Galatians, it is written for the Christian. It is written for people who have been Christians for a while. And that has a message for us as well. So as we start, once again, nothing but the gospel uh, is articulated in the, in the letter to Galatians, and, and nothing uh, but the, 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 the gospel is at stake, which is why Paul starts this letter uncharacteristically uncharacter- uh, in a very, very forceful way. Here's uh, how he starts, verse 1. Let's turn to Galatians now. Verse 1. Here is a... Um, Actually, sorry, um, before we do that. This is how Paul introduces himself in other letters, Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, he writes there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. So it's a fairly simple introduction. In the first letter to Thessalonians, Paul simply writes his name. Paul, Silas, and Timothy write to you. This is, why, um, this is how he starts that, that letter. But here's how Paul starts letter to the Galatians. He's got a long introduction about himself. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, but, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And if you, you have to ask once again, you have to ask the context, why is he writing a long introduction? Well, it's because his authority is in question. The people who have come into the church are pro- and proclaiming a different gospel is questioning not just the gospel, but Paul himself. They're probably saying things like, who is Paul to teach you this? I have the same authority. So Paul, from the very beginning, reminds the church in Galatia who he is, that he is an apostle, to remove all doubts about his authority, because many actually people could have claimed to be apostle of Christ. Because apostle simply, literally, means ones who are sent out. In fact, in Acts 14, Paul's traveling companion, Barnabas, is also called an apostle. So Paul goes on to say a little bit more about his apostleship, that he is different. He says, actually, that he's not sent merely by men. In fact, he's not sent by a man at all, he goes on to say. He's not sent by men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He says that Jesus himself set him apart as an apostle. There's a difference, he says, between the twelve and him and everybody else. All the apostles, all the other apostles are sent by men. But Paul says he is commissioned by Christ himself. Christ will build his church upon these apostles. The foundations of these apostles and not others. Paul is saying that his authority comes from Christ. That he speaks on behalf of Christ when he speaks to the Galatians. And if we just take that part on its own, it might sound like that Paul is slightly on a bit of a power trip. That 
he just wants them to know who's the boss. But let's be clear. That is not why he's doing this. A lot, something a lot bigger than his feelings is at stake. He's saying the gospel is at stake. The gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. He's saying that the gospel that he proclaimed is the same one that was commissioned by Jesus himself. It's not something that he invented or given by other apostles. It's something that God gave him. It's the gospel that Christ commissioned. But as people have challenged Paul in, in Galatia, people still challenge Paul, don't they? It's often theologians who do this most often. The learned think that they have the same authority as Paul. Scholars often say, ah, Paul's incoherent or he's unconvincing. He says different things here and there. Some say flat out that Paul's wrong on certain things. And these days he's gotten even more unpopular because of his teachings on homosexuality and role of women. So all of us, sometimes we do this. As we read the scripture, as we read Paul's writing, we go, well, I kind of like this, but I don't really like that part. We pick and choose. But partly, the implication of this passage is that we can't do that. We can't pick and choose God's word. Some of God's word will confront us. It will be something that we won't like. But that's actually what it means to have a God that's bigger than us. God will confront us with his word. The first century apostles of Jesus are unique. Upon that foundation, the church is built. They are unique in their selection. God selected them. Jesus selected them, handpicked them. They're unique in their commissioning. The risen Christ appeared to each one of these apostles and commissioned them out. They're unique in their inspiration. They're given the authority to speak on behalf of Christ. We can't say our opinion is as the same as the apostles' opinions. We can't claim our authority to be equal to theirs. If we reject him, we reject Jesus. In Jesus' words, he who, receives me, uh, he who receives you receives me, Matthew 10, 40, John 13, 20. Partly, I hope you know this is one of the reasons why you won't hear radically new te- teachings week by week from this pulpit. You will always hear same variations of what you already know. Because that's not because I am boring or that I'm not learning new things. It's just that I can't preach a different gospel. I can't preach from a text uh, that, 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 is, that comes outside of the Bible. My teaching depends on the authority of these words in the Scripture, the words of the apostles. I can't reveal to you new things, even if I am a spirit-filled person. I can't do that. This is why we preach from the Bible, from the pulpit. And this is why I ask you to check, check it with me as I go through it. My thoughts and your thoughts are of equal authority. But when we speak from the scripture, we're speaking from a different authority, from a higher authority. We come to the scripture each week. And at the end of the day, the gospel is at stake. Who gets to define what it is? Who defines the gospel? How do we talk about what we ought to believe? Where is the start? Where is the end? The start and end have to be the scripture. We come to Scripture. So after this long introduction, Paul saying, this gospel is one that comes from God. Paul greets them. He says, peace and grace to you. 
Of course, the Greeks um, said hello by saying uh, grace, charis. And Jewish people said hello by saying shalom, peace. And Paul says both. He combines both grace and peace um, to you. But then he infuses this uh, with great theological meaning. He doesn't just say hello. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and, our, and his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, in verse 3 and 4. What he's doing is he's greeting from the grace and peace of the gospel, because there he articulated the gospel already, which will be the theme of this letter. He starts by defining the gospel in his greeting. So from this little short passage, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel involves Christ giving himself for our sins. And I'm no expert here um, in Greek, uh, but Greek experts tell me that that for is substitution. It's on behalf of, um, in the place of, Jesus gives himself for our sins in the place of our sins, at the heart of the gospel, then is a substitution. It's not an example. It's not an heroic act. It's Jesus taking our place in the place of, in, in our place. What it describes is a rescue mission, how God has rescued us. And from the very beginning, this is what Paul is doing. He's telling us the uniqueness of the gospel and how revolutionary this is in comparison to everything else. All other religions teach uh, what we ought to do, how to live our lives better, what we could be, how we could be better. What Christianity announces is a rescue, what already has been done. It's news of the past. It's what has been accomplished. And the news of the past is good news because it's a rescue news. It has been, we have been rescued from the consequences of, and the powers of our sin. In Jesus Christ, Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to die. It's the news of what has been done. But at the same time, this good news then is, becomes a little bit of bad news as well. Partly mad, bad news because the gospel says that you are so bad that you needed to be rescued. That you deserve God's condemnation. You are under God's judgment that you deserve death. It means that we are more sinful than we thought that we were. In fact, this is a shock for a lot of people. When you tell people the gospel, people think, well, I'm not so bad. Why do I need to be rescued? But at the heart of the gospel is this message that you need, you, our hearts are worse than you think, and our condition is worse than we, uh, that, 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 that you thought that you needed God's rescue. But at the same time, that we have been rescued means that this is also good news for us. That we are loved more than we can imagine. I love doing CE partly because I see people understanding the gospel for the first time. A couple weeks ago, someone who heard about Jesus dying on the cross in our place started to look really thoughtful, pensive, and, and he sort of had this look. And he then looked up and he said, well, Why? Why does Jesus die in our place? Why did he do that? I only had one answer. It's because God loves us. The gospel tells us that we are loved 
beyond our imagination. Although we are more sinful than we thought that we were, we are loved beyond our imagination. That God loves us. That we have a great God who would take our place on the cross. That is the good news of the gospel. And that we have been rescued from this present evil age, from the powers of the evil one, that we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, that law was unable to accomplish, that we can be more like Christ more and more because of the power of the Spirit in us, that we have been freed. And all of that that is done by the will of our God, the Father, because God loved us. The gospel at the core is not about a better life, about how how to live a better life, or even becoming a better person. If that were the gospel, then the gospel would be no different from any other religion, any other message that's out in the world. At the core, it is a rescue story. It's 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 a story of what God, it's a news of what God has done for us. And Paul is passionate about this because he himself has been rescued in, in 2 Timothy, he says he calls himself the worst of sinners. He has been rescued, and he knows this gospel firsthand. And he speaks authoritatively, because not because he cares about his reputation, but because the, his salvation, others' salvation is at stake. Because the gospel is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And when we get this, and as we delve into uh, letter to Galatians in the coming weeks, as we get this, Power comes. The power will come. The great burden that you've been carrying will fall off. Your heart will be filled with peace and love. And you will see our Savior a bit better. That's what we're doing. That's what Paul's been, uh, Paul has done in the in, in letter to Galatians. And we will never, we'll come to a point where we will never boast about what we've done. We will never boast about ourselves. But as Paul does, in, in, in the, at the end of the letter, we will boast only of the cross of Christ. He will be our boast. And I hope you will pay attention, as Carmen said, that you will read through with me the good news of the gospel in Galatians. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your son, Jesus, and the good news of the gospel. And we thank you that it has been so clearly articulated in the letter to Galatians. And Lord, we pray that as we come to these texts in the coming weeks, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will help us to realize the the truth of the gospel, that you will free us from the burdens of sin and guilt and our obligations, Lord, and rejoice in the grace of Christ and the joy of Christ. And that may we be people, a people who boast only of the cross of Jesus Christ. In your son's name.